I recently had a friend this season point out that I am great at making decisions and engaging in perspectives and kind of route planning when we're out in the backcountry. But when it comes to the pre-planning process and using different apps and tools to figure out where we're going to go, I'm usually pretty quiet. And after thinking about it, that is something that I have not worked on in my backcountry knowledge uh, building. So it's a huge goal for me this season. And I'm super stoked to say that our sponsor for this episode on X is going to help me actualize those bad bitch dreams. Um, on X backcountry is a guidebook in your pocket that's super intuitive and easy to use because there's nothing worse than an app that just doesn't work. The premium subscription gives you access to an offline GPS that allows you to save maps and locate yourself in the train to make sure you're en route. That's a super awesome asset to have because it means that you can help guide your friends when you're out there and feel comfortable making those decisions. It also gives you access to over 10,000 existing guide quality routes with descriptions and photos. It allows you to slope shade, route plan, place waypoints and view the landscape in 3D, 3D topo satellite or hybrid base maps. It also gives you access to necessary information like forecasts, uh, land boundaries, recreation points, historic avalanche data, and a shit ton more. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for your hot girl, guy, person, backcountry navigation needs. And it's an awesome resource to start feeling more independent and knowledgeable, especially for only $29 a year. That's freaking bananas. If you're scared of commitment like me, you can sign on to a demo for a seven-day free trial. So give it a go. Make up your mind later. Super freaking easy. You can use our discount code out of bounds for 20% off premium subscription via their website, www.onxmaps.com. Know before you go, my dudes. Safety looks super good on you. Hope you're having a great Monday. Asama dudes, it is Monday, and you know what that means. This is another episode of Big Stick Energy coming at you live, keeping you company while you're ignoring your mom, doing chores, hanging out with your boyfriend, driving, whatever it is. We're happy to be here with you. Uh, my name's Tori Anderson. You can find me at Tori Aelina on Instagram, and you can also find my co-host and best friend for life, Renee McCurdy, at Renee McCurds on Instagram. We are two of five co-founders of the Womb Tang brand, and we are super grateful to be bringing you this podcast today on the Out of Bounds Collective. The first thing that I wanted to prompt, if you feel so graciously inspired, is to leave us a review on whatever platform you're joining us from today. It really helps to kind of manipulate those weird-ass algorithms that run our lives and push this content to the front so we can get more people listening and educated on these important issues and just continue growing the community. You can tell us a dad joke, whatever your heart desires. We would really appreciate it. Um, this episode today is unlike anything we have ever done before. It's super unique. We had the opportunity to interview my friend Talon, who has a degree in uh, neuropharmacology and is currently a neuroscientist who wrote their master thesis on the effect of concussions, how different hormones uh, in like male or female brain structures affect the traits and the issues that concussions and traumatic brain injuries produce, and also how cannabinoids, aka weed, affects the human brain, development, drugs, and the prevalence of drugs in ski town cultures. Why do people like them so much? It is a really interesting topic, and she is so freaking smart. I have to say that this was an episode I geeked out super hard in, and I also think a really important conversation because all of us have been to places like Fernie or Nelson, and we've seen how heavy the snow, aka the drugs or other things kind of hang out there. So Understanding why we have those associations between like adrenaline sports and using that stuff, I think is really important. And also concussions and brain injuries are something that affect all of us or people we know and love. So yeah, this episode's freaking dope. Talon is a legend and she also has her own podcast, Knowledge by Proxy, if you want to learn more and dive a bit deeper into her world, because it's super interesting, the work that she's doing. Uh, anyways, here's another episode of Big Stick Energy coming at you live in three, two, one. Okay, speaking of brain stuff, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Because this is like a podcast episode that is super unique, but we are so excited to dive into it today. <laughs> and you are a smart ass cookie, like list all the things, the degrees and what you do. And yeah, tell everybody. Oh, man. Um, okay, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is so cool. Um, so uh, my name's Talon Black, and uh, I do a couple of different things. 
But right now I'm studying for my PhD in, um, I'm in two colleges, but I study uh, neuropharmacology. So the study of how drugs affect the brain, which is pretty neat. Um, mostly because I really like doing drugs, mostly psychedelics and other things. And, um, and I'm really interested in how they affect the brain. So uh, I, I'm, I'm there, but I have a really interesting background. So I have, I've kind of like dabbled in rehabilitation. I did my undergrad in kin and I did half an undergrad in nutrition and I did my master's in pharmacy studying traumatic brain injury. And so I kind of have like this really wide um, variety of knowledge. And then also I really like doing outdoor things and it's all kind of like being fueled by that. Um, so, and like the combination of how those things like intersect, how like drugs and being outside and like changes in perception and like just have come together and how they come together in like the real world. So that's kind of what uh, motivates my interests in life. <laughs> I love how you're just like, I like doing them. I like drugs. <laughs> I was like, anybody that's listening to this that lives in a ski town has gotten weird from time to time, okay? They're pretty fun in moderation. Not, well, in healthy, I don't know how to phrase what I'm about to say next, <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say. It's like, don't, don't, you know, it's not good to party like you're in the hangover every night. No, I think no. it's like, I think it's just like an important topic to talk about though, because I think like, for so much of my life, people just like didn't, it was just like, sh like frowned upon to yes. even like think about dabbling. Like people were like, you drink or you do nothing. And even we don't really talk about drinking. And I think like, just to kind of, it just like stigmatizes everything. And like, I, when I lived in Nelson, BC, like everyone does substances and like people do them to such an like dramatic extent and people start doing them when they are so young and like I'm a pretty sheltered person like I grew up grew up in Calgary I grew up in like you know northwest Calgary I went to like Aberhart you know and I, I just didn't get that same exposure that maybe I did until I was like 23 and so it really opened my eyes to like what's happening in the world and like automatically my brain was like what is happening to people's brains like what is going on and like why are people motivated to do this it's funny because actually like in Nelson, there's, I, I would always say like there's something in their water because the skiers that come out of there are so good, but maybe it's not the water. <laughs> maybe not, uh, maybe not. Um, I think about this regularly. Like there's so many stories that I could just talk about, about like people doing like ridiculous things. Um, just like fueled by um just kind of like a, a change in mindset and like there's a lot of research coming out showing that like psychedelics can change your brain and like we don't necessarily know how long that that lasts for and like what that changes those changes in conductivity look like um but like I definitely think that it's like it started from a kind of a different mindset like those draft dodgers coming up from the united states like being like no none of this vietnam we're not into it and then like that just kind of like fueling this like rebel kind of like counterculture and then that just like all coming together to like fuel this like next generation of like people with a change in mindset i don't know it's cool though but like it's interesting it's very interesting. I know that like um, my friend Katie just got a job in Calgary at a uh, it's a PTSD and trauma treatment clinic that is using microdoses of LSD and other drug drugs to treat PTSD. And the research behind that, like you said, rewiring the brain is really freaking cool. <laughs> it's like and like living in Fernie and stuff like that and in ski towns for most of my life, I cannot tell you the number of people that are like, yeah, I just been having a hard time. Like, I just need to like, I'm going to go like on a huge trip and just align my perspectives. I'm like, word. <laughs> it's like, let's go. But turns out it actually works. So here you are. <laughs> it's so intense. It's so intense. Like sometimes I'm like a very, like, I don't know. I'm a pretty conservative person. Like I come from a pretty conservative background. All things like said, I mean, both my parents were like, grad school educated but I just like didn't have that exposure and just like seeing 
how people's use and perception like changes kind of like across the country and like between provinces is like so interesting and I and like there's just like this hub of kind of like extremes uh, that takes place in and amongst like downhill skiers like freestyle skiers freestyle boarders um and like downhill mic- mountain bikers and it's just like it totes this line um that you don't really encounter necessarily like a whole lot of other places yeah i'm a quick background check everybody that's listening to this is gonna be like damn cochran's fucked up but i grew up in a town that had prevalent drug use and so did renee actually but we had very different experiences and like um, I, I, I had some, like, I, I have ADHD and dealt with bullying my whole life, but I got it kind of got pushed into that group. And like my generation, for some reason, my graduate class, so much drug use. Like I tried MDMA for the first time when I was 16. I've been smoking weed since I was 16. I used to be a wake and bake chronic stoner, tried mushrooms, like all that kind of stuff. So I was around that from a young age, which I didn't know wasn't normal until I actually left Cochrane. And a lot of people were like, yeah, I didn't try drugs for the first time until I was like 20 years old or like, like I stopped smoking weed when I moved to Japan because I couldn't get it anywhere. It was just like, and then I realized I was like, wow, like I I actually think I feel better not smoking weed all the time. But yeah, like very different. I mean, you, you know, my partner, you guys went to the same high school and his experience is very similar to yours. He was like, I didn't try anything until I was older. (laughs) Totally. We had such a sheltered upbringing and like, I like part of the reason why I'm in the field that I am am in and like doing the research that I'm doing is like <clears throat> my PhD thesis right now or dissertation. Wow, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> my PhD dissertation is based off of um, the developmental effects of prenatal cannabis exposure. So like women <clears throat> using cannabis um, during pregnancy. And like, this is, uh, this is like a near and dear factor close to my heart, because like with legalization, so many women are kind of thinking that cannabis is like a safer, um, like a safer alternative to, you know, other other drugs or other kind of like things that they could be doing. And realistically, like, that's just not the case. But this is kind of like, because of legalization, we've like, the research spectrum has like opened up so much to be able to investigate, like how these drugs are really impacting our population. And I think like, it's opened up this like level of conversation, um, and like transparency for like, that translates generations. And I think that's so important because like when we talk about kind of this like weird in between of us, like millennials who were like raised in the nineties where it was like really hush, hush, like don't do drugs. Don't like, don't, you know, drink, like don't talk about it. Um, you know, you end up kind of with these really unsafe situations where like people are like maybe using them, kids are maybe using them when it's young. And like, we don't necessarily know like how psychedelics affect the brain. Right. Especially in adolescence. Um, and then like very little in adulthood, is it's like emerging but like you know with the progress and like with kind of like this more open dialogue it's like so much it's like there's just like so much we don't know and so much we should talk about because it's just going to help enhance like a safer environment for the next generation which I just think is like so important um but that's just me and there probably hasn't been a lot of research on that stuff before this because it wasn't legal so all, all they're saying is, well, we don't really know what it does, but we need people like you to study it so that we know what it does. Um, I just have, I'm just wondering if you can define psychedelics for people who don't know. And like, I grew up with a little goody two shoes. So 20 year old me would not necessarily know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this is really funny. Um, <laughs> But like this, there was actually like a big conversation on academic Twitter about like the definition of psychedelics, uh, like the other day. So there's um, this this guy, his name is Dr. Brian Roth, um, and out of the U.S. and he's like this insane, um, highly productive academic researcher in the psychedelic field. And anyways, um, it really psychedelics. It really depends how you want to define it because generally they can be defined as like a psychoactive substance that alters perception um, and mood as well as other cognitive processes but then mm, psychedelics 
can more definitely be defined as something that acts on the serotonergic system. So like it, it differs <laughs> depending on who you ask. So that means that it branches beyond like our typical understanding, which would be like, like for me, if I was to think psychedelics, it's like peyote. <laughs> Sorry, that's a really like weird example. I don't know why I jumped to that one or acid or mushrooms, but really it depends on how it affects your brain chemistry. So it's more like the outcome, not so much the input. Totally. Yeah. So like, so like classically we would call them like serotonergic hallucinogens and like that's what acts like that's what lsd acts on um but then you also have like mdma which and like that works as well as like cannabinoids and disassociatives like ketamine which work on like different systems so but they're all grouped under like psychedelics but if you're looking for like the actual terminology, it would be like a, a serotonin hallucinogenic. So that'd be like LSD and like, and mushrooms would be, and psilocybin would be like, what would be kind of largely defined as a psychedelic. Okay, cool. So still yeah. within that realm, but this is like way above my level of like, yo bro, want to do some Scooby snacks? <laughs> hey, hey, our Scoot, like where did Scooby snacks come from? Like, can, like, is, do we know where that came from? Like anyone, if anyone in, in our listener audience can shout out to like where those were originally developed, like, I want to know, I want to know where those came from. I actually have a friend who used to um, make them in Fernie. Everyone has a friend. <laughs> everyone has a friend. We all have that one friend, you know, except for like with weed, like, I, okay, I went in to buy weed the other day at like one of the dispensaries. And it's like buying, buying a freaking car. Like it is so intricate and like the blends and the THC levels. I was like, I remember when I was 16 and you're just pulling up next to someone's car at Mitford Ponds and getting a, a dime bag. I was like, what is this? This is wild. Um, but the, uh, oh my God, you guys, my brain's fucking cooked. What was I talking about? Scooby Snacks. Scooby snacks. I don't know where they started, but it's an interesting concept where you're like microdosing, although you can't really quantify how much like how much mushrooms you're getting in each capsule. But it's basically like a capsule that has different like, I don't know, uh, health supplements like you'll get cacao powder because it's rich in magnesium and it boosts like certain things or like ginseng. So it's like increasing like your biological energy through these supplements plus the mushrooms. So it's supposed to give you a better trip. But like, I don't know. I where did they come from? I will inquire. <laughs> put, it out into, put it out into Reddit. Like, where did Scooby Snacks come from? Renee is a Reddit master. She is low key on there, just trolling the internet under like an alias. Yeah, I'm the funniest good. Reddit name, and no one will ever know it. <laughs> Reddit is like a weird. It's a, like a deep dark hole for me like whenever I go on I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to come back from this <laughs> yeah yup ain't that the truth um like earlier on in the conversation we were you were talking about the prevalence of drug use in ski communities or people that have uh an interest in adrenaline sports like through the research that you've done and your education what are some of the hypotheses on why that exists my brain jumps to psychographics from marketing, but I don't know anything else. <laughs> I have no idea what a psychographic is. So if you could tell me, I'd love to know. Sure. Um, a psychographic model is basically analyzing somebody's values, attitudes, belief systems, and there's certain patterns across different consumption behaviors. So somebody who is into adrenaline sports, they're more like risk or would it be more risk adverse or less risk adverse? Adverse means... Less risk adverse. Less risk adverse, more impulsive. If you were to like look at that analytical model and then apply it to something like craft beer, there's like a certain level of like adventurousness with the choices that they're going to choose. And then looking at like affinity marketing, um, which is where you look at a brand in an industry that is not comparable to yours, like completely different product, completely different market, but they're creating a feeling in that industry that you want to replicate. It's using the psychographic and behavioralistic model to kind of replicate that feeling based on their interests. So it's just like a huge data clump of looking at patterns and then making creative decisions around strategy. 
For sure. It makes me think of like when <clears throat> people are like making the ideal tasting like pop or like pasta sauce or something for the population. They're like, oh, we need to add this much sugar to appeal to like this big of a population because these are this is like the taste buds that we're, <laughs> we're trying to hit. But um, back to that, I think it's honestly because um, <clears throat> that like adrenaline mindset um, like really kind of speaks to kind of like a a variety of different like underlying um mental health um I wouldn't say like disorders perhaps um but it could be but I think just like mental health kind of like maybe I don't know like a little like check mark um just because I think a lot of people who are like drawn towards um or like drawn towards more adrenaline based sports like like you said are less um risk adverse or like kind of willing to like hang it out on the line and I think you can kind of trace that back to some like underlying uh you know maybe some anxiety like depression um just kind of like just like that pull of like the risky behavior and I'm like it's so interesting because I I don't know if any like demographic research has ever been done but like it would be curious to kind of like look at what like what communities people are coming from like what they're kind of like stress levels like socioeconomic environmental like what's their like you know kind of like family dynamics to see if that like integrates into it but like man is it it's always an intersect like people who are in ski towns and like who are doing who are like skiing and are like always like pushing the limit like they're always like drinking a little bit harder they're always like doing more drugs they're always like pushing it like wildly on the slopes and it always kind of blows my mind because it's like such a beautiful art form but also it's like risky business <laughs> yeah I guess for me and I, maybe you'll be able to tell me if this was correct or not but I tried to attribute it to because you get dopamine I think it, when you have adrenaline for sure so and that makes you feel good and it it activates those receptors and you feel good. So that's why people get runners high. That's why when you are doing, you're skiing a line and you have your flow and you land that hit and it gives you that little rush, like it, that's the dopamine flooding in. But I don't, I don't know like that feeling versus the serotonin that you would get from psychedelics and then that increase in serotonin, like how those affect, but that is that, that's what you do. <laughs> well, like dopamine is associated with addiction, right? Like addiction, you get this like a dopamine boost. And so you're kind of getting less like, okay, you know, like, especially like with cocaine and whatnot, you're getting like increased dopamine. And so you're kind of getting pulled back, but you're also getting like these dopamine increases with, um, with adrenaline, like sports. And, but like you brought up runner's high and this is the thing that I love, like, just tossing in in here as like an endocannabinoid researcher and a cannabinoid researcher but like runner's high um is actually associated with like our endogenous cannabinoid system like research has come out lately that it's like anandamide and two arachidonal glycerol that are like our endogenous cannabinoids the ones that we produce within our body that are responsible for that high isn't that wild like everyone was like it's endorphins it's endorphins it's not endorphins. you might you might have to translate that for me basically <laughs> oh, she's, saying, she's saying that you don't need to go running you just, you just need to smoke weed yeah or eat it yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, i was just like I was like, these are words I have never heard before. I don't even know how to react to this or what they mean. <laughs> okay, so this is this is so interesting because like everybody everybody talks like when people talk about cannabis, everybody talks about like um, THC, like tetrahydro delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol, um, or CBD or cannabidiol. Um, but like nobody actually knows like what the system looks like in the body, and like I think it's pretty important that we like educate people on like where the system is within our body and like what it does because the system is like so vast it can integrate and affect like our um like our body temperature our like our ability to like move around and like locomote and our ability to like make decisions and like remember things right like everybody's like oh I got high and like forgot you know where I was going or like what I was doing or like how to get off the couch and like that's what the system regulates and it's like ubiquitous without, within our body and like we produce our own cannabinoids so like and uh to arachidonal glycerol and anandamide which is like named after like the sanskrit word anatta um as in like you know um chill 
um, that's like what we produce in our body that acts on the system. So like THC um, comes in and like competes with our the own our own um, like endogenously inside produced within us. Um, like it competes with those chemicals. So it's kind of neat. So what would be like the difference in effect from the ones that our bodies produce and then THC comes in and competes with it? Because like buying weed the other way day, I was like, okay, I know everybody likes Tangerine Dream. I don't like it. I really don't like it. I was like, it puts me in the couch. You know what I'm saying? So when you're saying like, it's like, it competes with it. Like, what is the, the difference? Like, what does that look like and why? Well, and, like, this is why, this is why, like, cannabis is such a complex, like, I have, like, a specific expertise on cannabis because this is just what I'm studying, but, like, cannabis is a really complex drug because, like, there are over 120 different phytocannabinoids, so, like, THC is a phytocannabinoid, CBD is a phytocannabinoid, and then you have, like, cannabigerol, um, cannabichromine, like, you have so many others, over 120 of them, that, like, can act on different systems within our body that we don't even know what those systems are acting on. So, like, when you're when you're in the store and somebody's like, oh, this has this percentage of THC and, like, this percentage of CBD, well, those are only two of, like, 120, although they're the most, like, prominent and, and they're in the highest concentrations, like, we still, like, don't necessarily know what those other ones are doing. Plus, we have all sorts of other chemicals within cannabis, terpenes and and whatnot, and there's over like 300 of those within the flower that also act on our system. They can be like anti-inflammatory um, and have other different effects that like all kind of integrate over top of one another that we just like can't really dispel yet and we don't have the data to like be able to dispel so like when somebody's like I really like Tangerine Dream like that could be like a personal preference based off of like their own system because like that just is what like feels good for them versus like you who maybe have like a higher concentration of cannabinoid receptors like CB1 receptors that's what THC acts on in our body and so like it could just feel better for you or worse for you depending on like your own system. Um, that didn't really answer your question, though. I just went on a it, massive tangent. But, no, but it kind of <laughs> did, though, because, like, I was literally going through my account at the shop, and they're like, oh, did you like this one or this one? I was like, I can't remember. That was a year ago. And the name is something I would never remember. I just know Tangerine Dream because it was uncomfortable. <laughs> but I'm like, like I, I wish everybody could see my face right now because you're talking, and my mouth would just open my eyes are wide, and I'm just like, it's like, this is information. I, it's amazing to learn about it, but that makes sense. It, it makes me think about like, have you researched how cannabis interacts with different neurotypes? Like there's this whole TikTok theme, I think started by Connor DeWolf, who was a neurodivergent creator. And it's about like, follow the dopamine. So like ADHD people, their brains are motivated by dopamine receptors. So like they want to do something, creates dopamine, then they will do it, which means that they aren't able to regulate attention and focus and that's like it's not like a focus or attention deficit it's just a regulation problem which is really interesting and there's high correlations of drug abuse and addiction for people who have different neurotypes so like how does that interlay oh, oh man. sorry and there's also really high rates of adhd in people that do adrenaline sports because they are more yeah. likely for to do risky behaviors and get that adrenaline hit dopamine dopamine uh, man I don't even know where I learned that. I, like I have my nursing degree and then I don't even know if we've really mentioned this on the podcast, but I also have a biology degree. So that's where I got a lot of my other info from. Heck yeah. Yeah. A little, a little double major over here. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I covered that in physiology with the nursing students. We talk about um, some of those systems. So I feel like I feel like that's where yeah. you may be pulling that info from. It's in there. It's in there. You got it. Yeah, all the drugs you have to memorize. Oh, my God. I know. I know. Pharmacology is intense. It's intense. Um, but yeah, like I, I don't know, like I got so integrated into just like how drugs affect the brain and like people's choices because like when I, like I specialized in traumatic brain injury rehabilitation and when I was working as an exercise physiologist and it was just like so interesting um, within that to see like how many people, because you know, oftentimes with traumatic brain injury, you're getting like during and, and after the injury, 
Um, and during the recovery, you're getting kind of increases and exacerbations in like underlying um, mental illness. And so, you know, if there was anxiety, it's going to be worse. If there's depression, there's going to be worse. Or sometimes there's like novel depression and novel anxiety that are that are kind of like curated from the injury. And like just watching kind of some of my clients self-medicate specifically with cannabis, but just like being willing to try anything and just like kind of trying to like reach out. Um, it was like really kind of thought provoking and kind of made me search down and see like, holy heck, like what does this actually mean? And like that's what spurred me to like even go and and research um, how cannabis can can like can affect recovery from traumatic brain injury. And like probably one of the coolest things that that like I've learned thus far is like everybody thinks CBD is just the cure-all, okay? Everybody thinks it's just like the best thing for everything. And so everyone's taking it now. And like I can tell you right now it's not. It is a bit of a snake oil, okay? <laughs> so and like the reason for that is because it is a very promiscuous drug. It acts on like a bunch of different things in our body. But like one of the coolest places that it works on is it works on um, like our circulatory system. So it it actually interacts with um, serotonin 5-HT2B receptors, which are integrated into like the skin cells. We call them like the endothelium of um, our vascular system, so of our, our, our blood cells. And so like it's being researched, CBD is being researched in um, concussion because like you get blood brain barrier disruption in concussion. And so like, this is the thought behind some of the research that's going on with CBD and like traumatic brain injury and concussion is because it's like, oh, well it interacts with this receptor in our vascular system, which is disrupted in brain injury because you get this like opening of and like the separation of these endothelium cells causing blood brain barrier disruption and like things can kind of leak into the brain and it's it's not so good. And like that's where kind of some of that research is coming from. But like I stress CBD is not the cure all for all things. Please don't take it for everything. Um, do you yeah. think it's do you think so it's just cool. good marketing that makes us think that Heck CBD yeah. is a thing? I think Heck it is. Yeah. Yes, it a hundred percent is. Um, yes, I'm sure you could explain that better than I could, but like Well, yeah. A good example, just so everybody's aware, the concept of toilet paper. Toilet paper is a horrible idea, but it was actually really good marketing. Like if you find your dog shit on the floor. You don't just wipe it up with a piece of dry paper towel. You are going to wet that shit and you're going to clean it. Marketing for paper towel or for toilet paper, there's actually a whole podcast series on it. It's really interesting. It was compelling marketing that said it was more economically friendly, like it was an easier option, you're wasting less water, like all this kind of stuff when the days were normalized. But in reality, it's less efficient. It's actually kind of dirty and it's gross when you think about it. But that's a good example of how you can be brainwashed by marketing. It's, yeah. I am a sucker for good branding. Like you have a nice logo and I am, I'm into it. I am <laughs> into it. Doesn't matter what it is. I'm into it. You're like, I am turned on by that visual yeah. identity. Oh, baby. <laughs> Yeah. And like, I think with legalization, everyone just like, flood, there's like such a flood of the market that like, and you know, when there's, there's something like cannabis is addictive. So like people are going to get into it. And then you add some like pretty good marketing with that. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, you can, you can do some things and like just a sprinkle of research, just like a sprinkle just to really rope the people in. I think, um, I think it's, it's that. It's interesting though, like the that you say it's the endothelium because brain injury is the shearing of some of that vasculature. Totally. And that's that's what causes your concussions, your brain well, you're one of the things that causes your concussions and your brain injuries. And so I'm curious when you were studying that, what did you find? Uh yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really well, okay. So to to specify. Um, and this is an important thing, like over, overarching when we are examining research and we're examining kind of like knowledge sharing. Um, when you do research, like you do one study um, and it is just a drop in the bucket of knowledge. So like you 
as a grad student, I participated in like I and continue to participate in a number of studies, but like to actually and we find things and they like move one step forward. You know, you move like tiny little itty bitty step forward. But like people who spend like their their lives, you know, like 30 years of careers will work to actually make like a seminal contribution to science. So like when right like right now some of the some of the data especially coming out here and like the data that I produced um while studying this it is like it is so minimal and it has so much context to it that it just like you have to you have to like put it in that frame of mind um because I think like this is kind of a big issue that we're running into especially now with COVID not to tangent here but like when we talk about data, it is important to put it in context. So what I can tell you from my research is that um, I studied like a specific model and I tried to model human brain injury as much as possible, but we did it in animals. And like ethics is really important for these things. And like we, you know, you use animal models so that you can kind of like develop and really examine some of the pathophysiology. So like these, these different cascades that are taking place during um, injury um, and that are really difficult to study outside of that um, because you need like a controlled environment, et cetera. So like I used a rat model and I studied it in male and female rats because it's important to take into consideration like the sex differences with, um, you know, estrogen and progesterone. Like it's just it's huge um, and and it's important. Um, but for me, uh, I found that there was there are significant sex differences and like there were changes um, with that um, accordingly. And was my was my research really conclusive as to whether or not it helped or it hindered no it wasn't it just kind of showed okay we've got some changes in inflammatory cytokines that differ with the administration of um thc and inflammatory cytokines are kind of like markers of can be markers of injury and um and healing in the body so it's like it's very nuanced and like this study needs to be followed up with many more to indicate whether or not it could be therapeutic or not, or it could be harmful. So I found that some behaviors changed and some inflammatory markers changed and concentrations of our receptor subtype that THC binds to. So the CB1 receptor, cannabinoid one receptor, it um, decreased in males and remained the same in females. Um, but what does that say to, to the actual therapeutic effect? not a whole lot. So moral of the story is we need like years of research to know how to kind of like develop drugs that can help um, kind of participate in this huge life-changing event, you know? Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. I um like that's, that's like quantitative research looking at like, you know, the neurological effects of it, but like, did you gather any qualitative research from the patients you're working with and the clients about how it made them feel? And how did that correspond with like, did you find any correlations? Okay. I would have loved to, like, that would be so cool. It would have been so cool to have like a clinical component of just like being able to like, you know, interview some of the people who I had been like working with previously who were like self-administering anecdotally because they were like experiencing and like had heard from a friend that, you know, cannabis could maybe help. Like that would have been so cool. Um, but no, I didn't. I focused on the preclinical part just because I like, when I, my interest for my graduate studies really kind of, kind of, it, it was like anchored in the molecular portion because I just like didn't have a good understanding of like the full physiological cascades that are taking place um, in a traumatic brain injury. So I was like, I was aware of like the rehabilitation and like what to do post injury when people are like, you know, back for the most part back to themselves, but like, we're just working on like coordination. We're working on like their, you know, vestibular system, their ability to like kind of orient themselves in space um, and just like their functional capacity. So their ability to like, just like be able to do tasks in a day without like getting super tired and whatnot. Um, so no, I didn't, but like, man, that would have been cool. I just needed like 10 extra years of my life to be able to research that too. For sure. I think we should like, um, we should kind of hover on this concept of like concussions and rehabilitation because like I have had a lot of concussions in my life and like I got one in May from landing on my fucking ass. 
Like mm. I woke up two days later and I was like, I'm dizzy. Oh no. And then I went to see my concussion specialist and I was like, maybe my iron's low. Like what is happening? Like it's not a concussion. There's no way. And he did all this neurological testing and he was like, you have another concussion. And I was like, fuck. And that is something that is such a big issue in adrenaline sports. Like, and for anybody that's never had a concussion, they don't understand how debilitating and disorienting it is. So like, does, do people fully bounce back from something like that? Like, what does recovery look like? Like, what's your input on how it affects them? And man, you could even do an analysis of like the prevalence of anxiety, depression, risky behavior, plus concussions, which acts, like you said, it, it like ex- I don't know what word I'm looking for there. Exacerbates. Exacerbates. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) It it, it like makes those. I also love that you didn't say like disorder. You said check marks. So it's removing the pathologization of like some of those mental health, you know, things, which is huge as well. But sorry, I just asked so many questions. I just, I have so many questions, but concussions. (laughs) Well, so this is like a really important uh, thing to distinguish and like not many people are super aware is that concussion, um, there isn't actually any like visual damage. So like when you get a concussion, this is, it's a bunch of molecular changes that are taking place. So realistically what's like the main source of um a lot of a lot of kind of the associated symptoms uh, with concussion is um mitochondrial dysfunction so like with brain injury um specifically concussion you're getting this like this um kind of like a buildup of reactive oxygen nitrogen species that are taking place um because you've had like some shearing within uh the cell bodies um within your brain and so you're having like some reaction to these mechanisms and like your mitochondria it's the powerhouse of the cell and it's working to like produce energy and like take reuptake um and convert those reactive oxygen and nitrogen species and just kind of like handle the damage that is taking place um and because of that you are ending up with like a lowered energy capacity and like a lowered function and so you're essentially like having to like retrain your brain and let your brain heal. So like, that's why the first um, like 48 hours um, after a concussion are so important. uh, And it's so important to rest is because you like literally need to rest your system so it can like heal itself and your body can just like let these metabolic processes take place. Um, And then after that, a lot of it just is like retraining. Um, But that's the def- that's the that's the difference between a concussion and then like moving into traumatic brain injury because like traumatic brain injury um whether mild to traumatic um mild to severe i mean <laughs> um you're getting kind of you can get uh like physical manifestations on imaging so you're seeing like you know stuff on ct um and that's kind of like the important distinguisher between those two and a concussion is like an energy dysfunction and a traumatic brain injury is like a physical manifestation of pathophysiology. That's a good difference to make. Cause I think like, even like me working in healthcare, I mean, I obviously know the difference, but I, I think that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know the difference. And so many people have had concussions, but probably just don't understand really how they occur and what actually is the process of healing from it. And what is the best thing to do to heal from it? Totally. And like, it's just not something that's like really like integrated into um, kind of like public knowledge. Like you don't learn about that in school. Like I took, you know, like a, a, I took like a taping course in high school and like we never talked about concussion, even though concussion is something that happens like all the time, man, did I tape a lot of ankles and like, you know, tape a lot of wrists and like, you know, we, it's just like not something that was, that was really talked about. And it wasn't really talked about in my, in my university degree either. And I did a degree in kinesiology with like a, with a a focus in exercise physiology. And so it's just like, I literally had to like specialize and like, take um take continuing education courses and like cater my practice um and then my graduate degree to this which is like pretty crazy it's like you have to kind of be in medicine to really understand this or have had one or a multiple to like and have somebody sit you down and educate you on like the best ways to rehab it for to really kind of like understand the process and so it's like don't love that but like i guess we're having these conversations for that right (laughs) 
Yeah, I know that with my concussions, like back in the day, there's been a lot of controversy in the media about it with any high impact sports, right? Like football, all that kind of stuff. And like, um, I have family friends who like, you know, their son has had eight concussions now and they said around number five, his entire personality changed. And I guess this could be like a traumatic brain injury because you're disrupting those connections. It's not just um, like you mentioned, like that was one of the biggest the biggest problems and healing it appropriately. But back in the day, it was like, yes, like you need to stay up all night. Otherwise, like you could die. And the specialist that I was seeing was like, that's not really the case anymore. And before it used to be doing like absolutely nothing, resting to the maximum. But as you kind of push into your uh, your recovery period, you need to do things pre-symptomatically. So do them until you get symptoms and then stop because you need to rest because that's your brain cueing you like this is too much. But in order to rebuild those neuronal pathways, you have to push yourself a little bit, right? Well, well totally. And like, I think a lot of us like forget um, how much our brain is like part of our integrated into our cardiovascular system. And so like in order to heal, we need to like increase um blood flow and 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 like we have to kind of like rehabituate ourselves to movement because like with movement you're getting like increases in heart rate and like increases in heart rate are like increases in in blood pressure and you're getting like just kind of this I almost like explained I I used to talk to clients about it but they'd explained it as like a pounding right and it's it's because like you're so much more sensitized after an injury and like you you like your your vagus regulation is is dysfunctional and so you like your body just has to like learn how to regulate in exercise and like your symptom regulation like you just have to rehabituate your body to it and like after resting like sometimes people talk about like how they've they've had a concussion then they're like told to sit in a dark room for like months and that's wild because like after a certain period of time, like it's shown not to be as effective because your brain is just like, it's done that main healing. And then you have to like literally just like reteach your system how to function again. So like you have to kind of like reteach how to push your body physically and get used to like those feelings and, and just kind of like learn how to be active and like be and like push your brain it's so it's just it's really interesting it's like such a complex injury and there's so much integrated into it yeah like I um anybody that's listening to this like if you if you ever do have a concussion, one thing that I've learned is if I've gone to the hospital or I've seen a GP, they don't know anything. And it's exactly like you mentioned, like they'll send you home, just tell you to sleep. And it wasn't until I saw somebody that was specializing in rehab that, you know, like I really started to see changes in the way that I was recovering. And you have to do all these really weird exercises to kind of, um, one of my concussions, I had double vision in my right eye and my, um, I wasn't able to track and my eyes weren't able to focus. It was extremely hard because you use your sight for everything, right? So like one of the, the things I had to do, I had a string attached to a door with different beads on it and I had to hold it to my nose and I had to make my eyes focus on the beads. But how debilitating that was and exhausting it was, was insane. And it's such a simple exercise, but I wouldn't have done that by just going to my GP. Like I had to go see this guy and his name's Aaron Nardella. He works at Balanced Health Sport Therapy in Calgary. And I'm doing a shameless plug right now because those guys have helped me get through so many concussions and injuries and they are so good at what they do and approach things holistically like you do, like um, through nutrition, uh, like when I rolled my ankle, it was critical for them to assess that and get it strong because of the concussions that I had, it could affect my vestibular functioning and balance sensory input. So it's like, yeah, they, they're fucking awesome. If you're in Calgary and you need someone to see, go see him. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's so funny that you bring up Dr. Dr. Nardella because Do you know him? He is, yeah, he's like a an old family friend. Like he I like worked at the clinic. Like he's known me since I was like 12. Like that's so funny. I love that. That is such a little like that's a little commonality that I did not know existed between us. I did not expect that. Yeah, he's like helped me so much. His like my, my sister has worked reception at their clinic for years. That's amazing. What even is this? That's oh insane. my he, gosh. 
he is brilliant and he is so kind and he has helped me so much with my concussions. It's insane. So yeah. Wow. I love that. That was serendipitous. I love that word. I don't get to use it often, but that time it worked. <laughs> um, That's yeah. such a cute little story. <laughs> this is very cute. Uh, Talon, you mentioned earlier that men and women can have different reactions to concussions. Are you able to elaborate on that a little bit? Because I yeah. want to know. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is like uh, research is like still very much preliminary in this respect. Um, but like in general, just like as a as a general statement, like there isn't enough sex disaggregated data, um, especially for women. Like the majority of biomedical research has been done in male models um, and specifically uh um, basic science is like for the, like it's really on the la only in the last like decade that especially neuroscience research has begun to branch out into into female models like this is it's kind of sad but it's just kind of a reality um so yeah in terms of in terms of um uh like just like sex differences with injury um uh female sex hormones uh, are are thought to be potentially neuroprotective, specifically estrogen. So that's kind of interesting, but it differs cyclically. Like we cycle, you know, monthly. So that can definitely change. And like, we know that women are more susceptible to different types of injury, depending on where they are in their cycle. Like specifically, there was a, a big study that was just released on like ACL injury, um, where where like women are more likely to have ACL injury in a certain period of their cycle versus versus outside of that. So it's just like really important to kind of like consider all of the different factors that come into place. Um, it's really difficult to study this stuff because like, especially in, um, in clinical populations, like there's a big, big kind of like perceptive um, change. Like when I was writing my thesis, I read a lot of, a lot of research talking about how like, women are just like more likely to push themselves back um, into kind of like regular uh, kind of life following injury, which is, which can like lead to, um, to persistent symptoms after the fact. So like, because they often have caregiver roles, they're like pushed into those roles faster um, after injury, which can then kind of like prolong the symptomology, um, which is a bit interesting. Um, yeah, so there are definite differences and there's a lot that integrates into that. If that, that answers your question. Okay. So is it post, it's like post concussion syndrome. Is yeah. that what it's called? So I read an article about that as well, when I was trying to understand my concussions and it said that women are more susceptible to post concussion syndrome than men are. Is that totally. part of the factor is like a, a behavioral thing pushing themselves? Yeah. Like it hasn't necessarily been disseminated yet, but yes, like there is like, there's so like there, I can't, I can't stress enough. Like there's so many different factors integrated into this because like I did like a, a quick lit review when I was doing, um, looking at like preclinical research. So like animal models and like often what we do to study sex differences in animal models is like we do an overact, ovectomy, overactive. We remove the ovaries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow that was hard for me um because like that helps to control for the cycle aspect so then and then we'll kind of like we'll we'll modulate accordingly with like sex hormones um but in like in a um in like a clinical population when we're looking at humans uh that's obviously not possible um and we obviously like very rarely do we account for like the the time in the cycle and then on top of that too like um it it's it's really uncertain as to whether or not women are more susceptible or it's because women are better at reporting um their their uh their feelings and their emotions relative to the injury because like there's kind of a bit of a of a complex um um within injury reporting when it comes to sex differences as well like males just you know they don't want to or aren't as willing to report whether something hurts or not um or how it's affecting them emotionally so it's just, uh, it's tough, really tough to, to break it down. Yeah. Well, the, the patriarchy in medical research is very alive and well. It's fun. <laughs> it's changing. It is. It's really, it's, it's changing. changing. 
It mm-hmm. is. Yeah. It's like, it's super changing. Like everybody, this is like a thing. Um, everybody who writes a uh, uh, Canadian Institute of Health Research grant. Um, so like professors uh, when submitting, they have to have taken uh, a course that like educates on the importance of researching males and females. Like that's like integrated now into the grant writing process. So like it's changing and it is changing from like a systemic level. Um, but it's could have happened a bit sooner, you know? Yes, yes, I do. If it's it's changing at like that academic research base level, but there seems to be a disparity in the trickle down to general practitioners, psychologists who are treating patients and the like the gaslighting and like I am neurodivergent and my experience in trying to get like diagnoses and therapy has been very disheartening and it's it's shocking to hear like the the common experiences of women and non-binary people because the medical model has only looked at male phenotypes and presentations for a lot of the traits of neuro, neurodivergent people and it's a uh, yeah i hope that it trickles down further because that is traumatic in its own to be devalidated and to enter a diagnostic process or therapy with existing existing biases it's like it's absolutely shocking. It's absolutely shocking when you look into it. And it also like disproportionately affects BIPOC people as well. It's, yep. Huge, huge issue right there. Um, I loved, this is just like segueing a little bit, but like, I love, I love the, I think it was the womb cork post that you guys had, um, about, uh, having like workshops, like for bike, for bike, um, maintenance or like, or like learning for um, LGBTQ two plus or um, or BIPOC populations, and I thought that was so cool just to like change the the narrative and change like the what is happening in the outdoor scene because it's like it I like as a researcher like yeah I do research and that's my job, um, but also the things that keep me happy on a regular basis are like getting out skiing, biking, and like doing that with friends and like doing that in a safe, safe community. And so it's like, I am almost like more excited to make those changes, um, in like the things that I enjoy doing because I enjoy doing those things. I don't want to feel my best in those environments. So like, I love that post that you guys had because it was just like, yeah, okay. I'm like, I'll think about this stuff when I'm in a work environment and I'll like think about it relative to like research and the stuff that like, you know, I'm, I'm like, it's going to be my job, but like, I want to also think about these things that kind of like transpose that idea into like some of these, these other scenes. Um, So that's pretty cool. Good on you guys. Thank you. We're trying. We're trying. It's hard because like we're doing this and I work full time at the hospital and we're doing Loom Tang and we're doing the podcast. Like I basically have three jobs. So sometimes I just like get anxious about not doing a good enough job at some of it. And I'm like, feel like I'm missing things, but we are trying and we are learning every day. And I think that's the important part for like anyone is if you get corrected on something and then you take it to heart and you try and do better next time. That's like really all we want. Okay. I completely agree with that because it's like, it's, it it would like, it's so much harder to like try and then like to not do anything at all, you know? And, and I think like, that's really kind of like the important thing. And I have to remind myself of that all the time because like, I get really overwhelmed in all scenarios. Like I get overwhelmed when I'm like working on my podcast and just like think like, what the heck do I have to bring to these people, you know, who are listening or like, what the heck do I like have to bring to like research and like what makes me any different. But then I, I just kind of think about like, okay, like I'm trying and I'm like doing it. And like, these are progress. This is like steps. And so it's just like kind of it's like kind of what anchors me in my like massive imposter syndrome to like keep getting up and doing it the next day. Yes. A hundred percent. I literally was writing like my monthly goals at the beginning of January. And I was like, bitch, chill. I was like, (laughs) it doesn't have to be perfect. Your perfectionism is not healthy. It's like trying is hot. Just try. That's all that matters. And if you need to put it down and you need to walk away and you need to do the fuck it, that is okay. You still showed up. And I have to like remind myself of that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I love that. 
Yes, it's very, very hard. But that, uh, you know, creating that space, I had an, in oh, Renee, should I plug the comments that we had today with what's his nuts on the mental health post? No. Okay, we won't talk about who it is, but people can go and find that if they want to. Um, the dismissiveness of the ski, yeah, okay, now she's gonna go look, don't go look yet. I like schooled him and I haven't looked at his reply yet, but the like, the idea that it is just skiing really dismisses that there's an entire like systemic design that creates culture and norms and a non-inclusive space for people that do not fit a specific like uh representation and it's the concept that it is just skiing is so harmful and dismissive to the very valid experiences of people that do not feel safe or included in the industry right and that's why it has been predominantly white and male and it is built into popular culture, product design, everything. And like, we can't change the world, but we can focus on changing the industry. And that's kind of what we're about right now. But, you know, recognizing that those spaces are not inclusive, like shops, learning about bikes, like those are all inherently white and masculine things. Like I had an awesome phone call with the creator of Queer Cork last night. Um, they are amazing and they are trying to tackle the concept that there aren't like any trans spaces right it's like if you're a trans person do you fit into communities like womb cork is there one for trans men like how do they blend into those spaces although they might be safe spaces they're still not representative of their experience so that shows you the lack of diversity and inclusivity it's like very layered and it's very complex but somebody that's just like it's just skiing skiing's like a blank canvas it's like meditation like stop taking it so seriously to say it's like that for one person doesn't mean it's like that for all of us i was like you are blatantly highlighting your privilege and it is fucking disgusting like chill out bruv all right we went into it i did people I are think, gonna go left now it's i know I think as we wind things down, I just wanted to say I love Talon how you do such a good job at really with without having to go too in depth into it, like really communicating well that one study is not indicative of anything. It can give you ideas that leads to the next thing. But at the end of the day, we need multiple studies and reviews of literature and the like there's a whole hierarchy of research that I think just like common people who haven't done a science degree or like other bases of research that might not understand that like your one study really doesn't mean a whole lot. It can show you really cool things, but it needs to be repeated over and over and over until you realize that you have something. And I think that's where like Tori, you were saying the way that the medical system is, it takes a long time for those effects to trickle down because the medical system, like as nurses, what we do is very, very evidence-based. So something has to get to that very high level of literature before it really comes into practice and things get changed. So it takes a long time before you get to that point. So it probably will change, but it's gonna take a little while and it's gonna take a lot of people like Talon researching every little thing for years and years before we ever get to that point, unfortunately. But um, I just thought you did a really good job at discerning that aspect of things and, and that there is a lot of analysis that goes into proving whether a study is valid or not. Yes. Uh, and I think you absolutely should plug your podcast yes. before we go. <laughs> okay. Well, I really appreciate that because like that's, um, I feel like it's kind of becoming like, what I'm going to do with my life honestly um, I'm a pretty big fan of science communication so um, I do have my own podcast with my uh, co-founder Elsa Van Income um, and we are called knowledge by proxy so we're kind of like what you guys do in the ski industry but we are that in like the biomedical field we're in that in stem <laughs> so um, we uh, are hoping to kind of like show the people behind science that are like outside of the like white male stale vibe um who are like really kind of making waves and also giving a platform to some of those like uh younger researchers who are just like really getting after it trying to like i said like make waves um so if you want to tune in and get educated um on some really random topics by some really cool people 
then please tune in. Um, we're at we're on Spotify um, and iTunes at at Knowledge by Proxy. So yeah, that's us. Um, I like really appreciated chatting with you guys. This has been so fun. Yeah, it was great to have you on. This is like a, a type of conversation we don't get to have every day. And it was, yeah, not all relative to skiing, um, relative, like just with gear and like the typical topics that we have, but something I think everybody in the outdoor and adrenaline industry can relate to because of drug prevalence, mental health, ADHD, like um, concussions, everything. It's, it's the inner workings, your knowledge, you did such a good job at explaining it. And I am just mind blown by what we're taking away. I would love to, yeah. Oops, I just punched my table. And Sorry. now now I know that I don't have to go running for my 50K trail <laughs> run training. All I need to do is just go smoke a bowl and I'll get my runner's high. Yeah, you'll get your runner's high. It'll be fine. I'm sure that smoking is doing wonders for, you know, like the, the cardiovascular effects for that 50K. Like, I'm sure it's great. Like, I'm sure like, don't, don't stop. Get it. Get it. Um, And I do want to like, I do want to paraphrase, Uh, not paraphrase. I do want to like clarify because I like right at the beginning I was like I love drugs and like I do and I like really enjoy doing them but I think like the most important thing to remember is like set and setting and like when it comes to these drugs like they are drugs and they are therapeutic and that's like why they're being researched in those environments and so it's like you know we call them psychedelics because they're transformative but like they can be transformative in a really really good way or in a really really bad way so it's just like pretty important to like keep that in mind when we like talk about it and kind of like lightly touch on those topics oh yeah oh yeah um good thoughts outside is great and with people that are safe don't go deep into the forest and don't go swimming in a deep lake but you know just like broad outside not in the city maybe good things to consider we didn't go into my bad trip stories from a teenager but holy they were nerver um play safe everybody uh talon is there anywhere else people can find you or any other plugs you want to give before we leave today yeah, sure. So um, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Talpaca13 um, if you want to go for a lunch or a picnic, I'll pack it. Um, that's kind of <laughs> how, how you can think about that one. Um, and I'm on Instagram as well at that same handle, at Talpaca13. Um, and then, yeah, just like follow my podcast and shout out to everyone trying to make waves because you guys are cool and and I salute that. Fuck yeah. This is a cool mashup. We are into it. Well, thank you so much again. (laughs) Fuck shit up. That's our like, we're trying to define our purpose. And Adam, the creator of Out of Collective, he was like, you know, if I had to say what it is, it's just fuck shit up. Like the industry needs to change. I was like, we can make that our purpose. That can be our purpose is to fuck shit up. So that's where we're at. We're we're just here fucking shit up. Exactly. Drugs. Season (laughs) three, COVID 2022. We're fucking shit up. Um, have a fantastic week, everybody, and we will see you next Monday.